Friends, grace and peace to you in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know about your house, but in our house, there are few things that are more precious in the whole world than band-aids. Seriously. Now, it helps, of course, that many of our band-aids are adorned with some of our kids' favorite cartoon characters, but but even if it's just your run-of-the-mill, generic, plain, old, beige band-aid, some people in our house, and I won't name names, will imagine boo-boos just so that they can get a band-aid. And once that thing is on, it stays on. If you go anywhere near that band-aid, there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? And so it stays, and it stays, and it stays. But here's the problem with keeping a Band-Aid on for too long. First of all, the longer a Band-Aid stays on, the harder it is to come off, which just ups the ante on how angry people can get when you try and take it off, okay? The other thing is that if you keep it on, that sticky stuff that makes it stick to you, well, it also sticks to other stuff, and so dirt and all the other things that kids play with, well, it mixes all in there. And so when you finally do take the Band-Aid off, it can smell a little weird. And it leaves behind this pitch tar stuff that takes turpentine and about three years to wash off of somebody's skin. But the most important reason that you can't leave a Band-Aid on for too long is that it ironically delays the healing process. You see, it doesn't let air in, and so the skin gets all kind of pruney and weird-looking. And and if there was a real wound there in the first place, you know, one that actually drew some blood, it needs that air to heal. Like all living things, it's got to breathe if it's going to get better. But it's so hard to take it off. And it seems to me that that is precisely why the gift of lament is so important for people of faith. This morning, we continue a five-week journey through the book of Psalms, the hymnal of ancient Israel. And today, we heard a psalm of lament, Psalm 69. Lament is like a protest, a complaint song. It's a a sometimes angry, sometimes just really anguished cry of protest against God— for God not doing what we expect God to do. Walter Brueggemann, a great uh, Old Testament scholar, uh, once wrote that a lament is essentially saying to God, you are not acting like the God you promised to be. If the psalm of praise is arms raised to the sky, open in awe and wonder and undying adoration for God's goodness and grace, the psalm of lament is a clenched fist shaking at the heavens, asking, why, and where are you, and what are you doing, and when will you act? It's a powerful, powerful song to sing. Psalm 69 begins with this very beautiful, powerful, common image, the image of drowning, right? I'm I'm drowning here. That I'm up to my neck in fill in the blank. What are you drowning in? Up to the neck in debt or bills or 
difficult children or overbearing parents, expectations that you know you'll never meet, to-do lists that are way too long to ever be tackled? What are you drowning in? And when you feel that rising up against your chin and you feel like you might sink down, doesn't it feel good to just say, why? Do something. Where are you? You promised. Show up and be the God you promised to be. Unfortunately, we don't hear a lot of that in churches. The psalms of lament just don't show up all that much, which is strange because, and you may not know this, there are 150 psalms in the Bible. Uh, Those psalms can be roughly categorized in four different ways. They're psalms of praise, psalms of thanksgiving, psalms of trust, and psalms of lament. Of those four categories, anyone want to take a guess as to which one is most prevalent in the scriptures? It's not praise. It is lament. More than any other kind of prayer, lament is shot through and through the scriptures. And it makes perfect sense. After all, when you think of the long view, there's hardly anyone that I can think of in history other than the children of Israel who have had a lot to complain about. Pretty much every time they turn around, somebody's taking their land or sending them into exile or making them slaves or stepping on their throat while they pick their pockets. They've got a lot to complain about. And yet despite the prevalence of lament in Scripture, we almost never hear about it. It never shows up very, very rarely in the lectionary that most churches use to encounter the Scriptures on Sunday morning. We almost never hear lament psalms. Indeed, often they don't show up in our worship books. The the hymnals that we use, the red book that's been around for about 12 years, it has all 150 psalms included in it. But that is actually a remarkable change in the history of North American hymnals. The green book, you know, the, the best hymnal, the one I grew up with, the LBW, that one left out about 30 psalms. And of those 30 or so psalms that were left out, 90% were psalms of lament. And we just don't hear it. Why? Why are we so uncomfortable with the language of lament, of protest? Is it because it it just sounds too whiny or complainy? Like, you know, God never promised you a rose garden, just get over it? Or is it that church is supposed to be happy and light and fluffy and all puppy dogs and rainbows all the time? Or is it more serious than that? But for some of us, hearing a psalm of lament, a real protest, a, a, a calling God out, sounds less faithful. As if we don't trust enough in God's will that we aren't believing enough that that God's got it all figured out, and so what's the use in complaining? Is it that a psalm of lament sounds too much like not believing that God is who we say God is? I wonder what it is that keeps us from being able to hear these in the context of our faith, because 
It is so necessary. Because if you keep that covered up, if you keep all of that stuff down deep inside, it, it tears at your soul. It's got to come out like a wound with a band-aid that's been on too long. Opening it up might be a little stinky. It might look a little scary. But it's got to breathe. It needs air. Brueggemann writes that real healing never comes without true grief. It has to breathe. And as it does, the breath of the living God, the Holy Spirit, mixes and moves in with it so that real, enduring healing can, can come. It's got to come out. And who better to hear those words? Who better to receive the tight-fisted anger and anguish of the faithful than God? The one who promised to love us and and receive us and, and hear us without judgment and to hold us together as the world seeks to tear us apart. God can handle your anger It doesn't scare God for you to shake your fists and and raise your voice and be really, really passionate about calling God to do what God has promised to do. God can take it. Indeed, psalms of lament have been found on God's own lips. Jesus Christ, the Word made flesh, God among us, when he was in his deepest anguish, sang a psalm of lament. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, friends. The one right before the one everybody knows. It is a psalm of lament. On God's own lips, why have you forsaken me? And it is not, it is not faithless. You see, that is despair. There's a big difference between despair and lament. Despair is an exhale without an inhale. Despair is what happens when you just give up. Give up hoping, give up believing that anything could ever change, that God could ever be who God promised to be. That's despair. Despair is the silent resignation of the hopeless and faithless. Lament. Lament is the deep, embodied cry of faith. After all, what's the point in complaining and protesting and raising your fists in anger? What's the point if you don't actually believe that God can do anything about it? If you don't actually believe that things can change? And indeed, all of the psalms of lament have that deep and abiding faith embedded in them. They might begin with with anger and drowning and forsakenness and wondering where God is and why God isn't acting, but there is always a moment in each of those where it turns. It's like an and yet. And yet, I trust that you will do what you have promised to do, and yet you remain my God. My God. Psalm 22 begins, My God, why have you forsaken me? But it ends with, They will declare your deliverance 
to generations yet unborn, that people who have not even been dreamed of by anyone but God will know your everlasting deliverance, for you have seen and you have acted. Psalm 69 begins with drowning, but then it turns to a trust that God's steadfast love and abundant mercy will be poured out. And indeed, it is. That's the gift of lament, is it brings us into the place where we can faithfully receive God's promises. Lament is that deep and abiding hope and faith and commitment to the fact that my now is not my forever. That where I am right now, that which is up against my throat, this is not forever. But that the forever is held in God's abundantly merciful and loving hands. And it is into those hands that we place ourselves, even in our fear and our anger and our sadness. And indeed, God hears and God acts. That's what happens in this place, at this table and in those waters. That's what happens when God's people gather to pray for one another and to support one another and to be Christ for one another, to be those people who bear in their own flesh This abiding promise that God's mercy and love will be poured out. And it is. It showers us. It feeds us. It nourishes and nurtures us to trust and believe this eternal truth. That there is no now that you could ever find yourself in that cannot be overcome, transformed, healed, made whole by God's forever. And thanks be to God for that. Amen.